Welcome to Be Customer-Led, where we'll explore how leading experts in customer and employee experience are navigating organizations through their own journey to be customer-led and the actions and behaviors employees and businesses exhibit to get there. And now, your host, Bill Stagos. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Be Customer-Led. This is your host, Bill Stakos. I have a very, very special guest on the show, and not only special from the perspective of what she does for work, but also she works for a company that I am a massive, massive fan of. So Callie DePina is on the show today. Now, Callie is vice president and head of member experience at a company called ButcherBox. Now, for our international listeners, who, or for even for our US listeners who don't know what ButcherBox is, it's essentially a monthly subscription service, for lack of a better way to put it. And they send you the best cuts of meat ever. And I recently had chicken tenders delivered in my latest box, which I got this past Monday. And my kids went bananas for the chicken tenders. Callie, thanks so much for coming on the show. Such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much, Bill. I'm so excited to be here. I'm really honored to be here. You have a great show. I love listening. Yeah. Now, I want to be clear. This is not a paid advertisement. Be Customer-Led does not take money for any of this stuff. I just, <laughs> I'm like, when I saw you like pop up on my LinkedIn, I'm like, holy cow, I've got to have her on the show just because one, <laughs> I talk to folks that you do what you do every day, but even more importantly, I just love the product. So, hey, Cal, before we get into sort of the meat of the show, I just, it would be great if you can share your journey with our listeners. I just, you've, you've spent your time and life and customer experience and just talk to our listeners a little bit about what were the differentiators in your success. Yeah, absolutely. And first of all, thanks so much for your kind words about ButcherBox. I'm so excited to hear that. It's what we love to hear in a role like mine. So I guess to kind of give you the overview of how I got to where I am, I've really been in various e-commerce roles throughout my whole career, mostly much smaller, sometimes startup companies where mm -hmm. I would say experience management wasn't something that was really defined, but I somehow found my way into that type of role at every company that, that I was at. So I thought I would kind of give a little bit about each of the companies that I was at and what I learned about experience management mm -hmm. from each one and how I kind of built on it. So the first place that I worked was Rulala, which back in the day, if people remember flash sales, it was like the one of the major players in the flash sale space. This was like my crash course in e-commerce. We basically were launching an entirely new site every day. So with that type of business, we would have these sales that launched every day at 11 o'clock. Mm -hmm. And by the first half hour, we would have sold out of most of the products in the sale. So what I really learned there was to be super detail oriented, because if something mm -hmm. went wrong, there was no time to fix it. You had to have everything perfect before it went live. And it really taught me that like being detail oriented really affects the customer experience. Mm -hmm. And that's been really valuable to me throughout my whole career. From there, I went to a company called Gemvara. This was custom jewelry where we specialized in mostly engagement and wedding, but special occasion mm -hmm. jewelry, mostly gemstones. And what was really interesting about this was because it was gemstones and not diamonds that most people were purchasing from us, mm -hmm. there was really a story behind each piece that people purchased. And so learning those stories and really connecting the 
emotion behind the purchases really mm-hmm. helped me build that empathy for customers, which I think is probably the number one thing that's the oh. most important in customer experience management. So that was a really cool experience. I was in a bunch of roles there, ended up in kind of the site experience. So really, really focusing on the digital site experience mm-hmm. there. Then I went to a company called Folene, which it's a Boston-based company that was started out with brick and mortar retail and kind of transitioned not away from brick and mortar, but into a sort of hybrid omni-channel. Mm-hmm. So when I joined, they were really starting to focus on their e-commerce business. This was clean skincare and beauty. So mm-hmm. really interesting product, really great product. I love the company. They're still around today. They've expanded their their footprint. Really, really cool company to work for. And then that's what led me to ButcherBox. And people always laugh about kind of transitioning from beauty to meat. <laughs> but I, it's actually, there's more similarities between the two businesses than you could ever imagine. Because with Folane, we were selling clean beauty and mm. at ButcherBox, we're selling clean meat. And so yep. both of these spaces are kind of around health and wellness, which is really important to me. So mm-hmm. I really identify and empathize with customers in both spaces. And it's a space, both spaces are are spaces that a lot of education is required and they can be kind of confusing for consumers. So there's a lot of stuff in the experience that we have to do to kind of educate consumers cool. about the specific products. And you guys do a lot of that actually, not only on the site, but even just emails that you guys, the correspondence that you're sending out to customers as well, or members rather, excuse me. By the way, Rula La, another great brand. I still shop from Rula La. My wife introduced me to it. And like, <laughs> I don't think I've bought a suit anywhere at a tailor outside of Rula La in the last five years. So yeah. like, yeah, yeah, so great. for the gents out there, go download the app. <laughs> Super easy. Go buy, you can buy like suits, like great, at a great prices. Great price. But who the heck is wearing suits anymore? So, but you still <laughs> go buy regular clothes. So help our listeners, Callie, understand a little bit around your role at Butcher Box as head of member experience, right? And like, like, what are you and your team doing day in and day out? Yeah, so I lead a, a small but growing team at ButcherBox where we kind of cover three main areas. So the first area is customer insights or member insights, we call mm-hmm. it. And that's kind of traditionally what you would think of, I, I think, when you think of experience management. So that's everything from our VOC program to any serving that we're doing or quantitative studies. We also do qualitative ethnographic research. And we're looking at high level customer metrics like NPS and what Mm -hmm. we call MSAT, which are it's a member satisfaction metric to the typical things, uncovering pain points within the journey, trying to trying to improve the experience in any way that we can. Then we're also working really closely with our marketing and product teams to Mm -hmm. support any kind of questions that they have about our members or specific projects that they're launching. And so we'll support from the research side with member and customer insights for for those teams specifically or anybody across the company. Mm -hmm. But those are the two teams that we tend to work with the most closely. The second piece is UX and product design. So this may be a little more atypical for mm. to kind of roll up into a CX organization, but UX and product design do fall into my purview. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty straightforward. We're designing the experiences for the website, working super closely with the product team, mm-hmm. uh, really serving as a resource for them and working hand in hand with them. 
we're also working really closely with our brand team who's kind of supplying the the imagery and the language to yeah. the experiences that we're designing. So really cross-functional there. And then the last piece is community, which again, I think is maybe a little bit atypical for, for this type of role, but, and it's new for us to have community mm -hmm. rolling up into my organization. But what we've really found is that within the spaces where our members are, so on our social platforms and even in sort of local communities, mm -hmm. that's a piece that we've found is very, very important for our members mm -hmm. to feel that sense of community. And so we're really trying to find ways to integrate that more into the broader experience. And so, so that's cool. kind of the, the overview of, of what my role is. And very cool. There. I'm seeing more and more sort of community roll up into heads of CX or experience management. Interesting. And I love that you have UX and product design in there. I think that's so important because your VOC teams are probably working closely with your UX and, and product designers, right? Not just with the product team, et cetera. I think that a lot of com personally, this is my opinion, I think a lot of companies miss that trick when those UX teams are sitting somewhere else in the organization and they're not aligned towards like a common shared vision totally. uh, and common goals and objectives. I think it's awesome that you guys have done that. Has that been different than maybe how you've led sort of experience management teams in the past? I mean, outside of community, which you said is, is a little bit new and maybe even the product designers, but has it traditionally been more VOC focused or... Or what other models have you kind of developed in past yeah. lives? Yeah, it's interesting because because I've spent my career in e-commerce, I feel like it sort of naturally goes more hand in hand in the e-commerce space because mm -hmm. the experience is so focused on that digital experience. So while I haven't always managed the UX resources on the team, I've always worked super, super closely with mm -hmm. them. I think this is the first time where it's sort of like officially part of my role to own UX. And I think it works really, really well. The other thing that I think is unique about how ButcherBox or somewhat unique about how ButcherBox has our CX set up is that we actually all roll up product and CX roll up to the same organization. So we have a chief product and experience officer Cool. that kind of manages both of those groups. So product and customer experience are basically one department, which is, it's amazing because I think at the end of the day, it's the product managers who have the power to actually prioritize the things that we need to do to improve mm -hmm. the experience. So having that direct connection is, is really powerful in being able to get things done. Totally agree. Totally agree. I think a lot of companies, I'm seeing more companies start to embed product or, or CX into product. And funny enough, the financial services sector is doing this a lot more and more. I think that they've oh, kind of caught up to the Silicon Valley kind of tech space and saying, hey, look, we need product and CX really married up very closely. So you're seeing that, that organizational structure more and more, which is really fascinating. So I'm hoping the next three to five years, you'll see actually see your bank experience maybe get a little bit better as a result. Yeah. You, you mentioned your member satisfaction score. Like, how do you, is that a primary sort of measure of success? Or like, how do you measure success for not just even for the company from a customer experience metric perspective, but even for your team? Like, are there any specific it's operational or customer metrics that you use to to kind of identify and measure impact across your members? Yeah, it's a really good question. So. I'll start 
by kind of going through the high level metrics that we measure on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. What I'll caveat that with is that we don't measure our team on those metrics. Like we don't have a goal for NPS, for example, mm -hmm. that we're like chasing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. Super. And so it is really difficult to kind of figure out exactly how to measure the performance and are we making an impact? But so to back up, I'll go through kind of like the main things that we mm -hmm. that we measure on a regular basis. So we do measure NPS, which is pretty standard. I think everybody who listens to the show will know exactly what NPS yep, is. Yep. Then we we measure MSAT, which is member satisfaction. It's a five point scale that we rate on. We also rate on sort of different different factors of satisfaction. So there's an overall satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of break it down into your delivery satisfaction, mm -hmm. your satisfaction with the product itself. And there's a few other areas that we look at. Those two scores are the the sort of overall experiential scores. They're not transactional. They're mm -hmm. we send those surveys out at a regular cadence, but it's they're at specific times so that people are able to think back about their whole experience, not just one singular transaction. Yep. Then we have what we call DSAT, which is delivery satisfaction. And that is a very transactional score that we send out to every member after every box is delivered. And so mm. that is something that we do use in terms of measuring the performance of our operations and logistics team are all over that score there we're, we're constantly talking to them about what's happening mm -hmm. with dsat they're using that as like a scorecard for our shipping partners and our mm. fulfillment centers and so that's something that is very very tangible that they can make improvements really quickly from it's a super actionable metric the other two nps and msat we use them with the company knows what they are we, we measure them we we track how we're doing relative to previous years, et cetera. But it's more about looking at the underlying data in those surveys and mm -hmm. uncovering those bigger issues that we need to work on. It's less about chasing a score there. So we're yeah. not measuring anybody's performance based on what those scores are, if that makes sense. Yeah, it totally does. And so important. Like, I feel like for companies that do, it could really just drive the wrong behaviors, right? At the end totally. of the day, and you don't want to create that because then sort of the metric kind of gets into question and what are, why are we doing this even? And then you're getting away from the importance of the customer and there's like all sorts of just bad follow-on impact as a result of that, right? Totally, um, totally. I was just going to say, I think in terms of how we do measure our success, yeah. I think this is something that we're actively working on. And I think a lot of companies are, it's like, how do you quantify this? And what yeah. we're trying to do is put out as many actionable insights as we can. I think we've started to sort of transition into this phase where we're getting really good about interpreting the data and giving the rest of the company, the rest of the departments in the company, actionable mm -hmm. things that they can do. And now what we're trying to do is kind of take it to the next level where, okay, we've given you some actionable things. Now we're going to help you take action on them. And hmm. so it's sort of more a measurement of what initiatives are being, are being, uh, prompted by these insights that we're serving up to the company and mm -hmm. what initiatives are successful based on the insights that we've very cool. are you marrying up like if you have a promoter 
as an example, like through MPS, are you marrying up like to your MarTech stack and just like sending out different communications? Because I'm starting to get different communications. I'm like, I wonder if it was because of the survey actually that I just like told that as an example. So, we're just starting to do a little bit cool. of that. We're, we're, yeah. we're, we are starting to do that. Yes. So smart to do. I love that you're doing that. Yeah. Let, let's talk about sort of journeys for a moment. How are you thinking about the journey? You mentioned sort of the delivery experience, which by the way, is great. Not only and just for listeners who don't have the service, by the way, like when you go into butcherbox.com, you can pick which days around, you know, you want the box delivered and like it tells you like the the expected day and then you get an email saying, hey, it's been delivered, et cetera. So really just a nice way to kind of manage the delivery around your schedule versus it being, hey, you got to get it on this day and it's the first of the month and then you're figuring out and scrambling, how do I make sure that I'm home to make sure that happens, right? How are you guys thinking about, you mentioned some journeys. Are you journey mapping? Are you using any kind of advanced technology to do analytics around the journey? Are you doing some level of orchestration just by measure of sending out different emails to different people? What's your view on the importance of this? And and where do you want to maybe take it for ButcherBox? Yeah. So in terms of journey mapping, we've done some high level journey mapping, like to sort of get that baseline journey, baseline, what are the pain points, baseline, mm-hmm. where do we need to kind of make those improvements? We haven't done a lot of, we, we, we haven't done any anything with journey mapping, any high tech journey mapping at yeah. all. We've tried to get a little bit more granular with it and it, we haven't found much success in it because hmm. I think it's really hard to and I, I'm I'm guessing this is true in a lot of industries, but with ButcherBox in particular, our members are so diverse and come from so I'm many sure. different places and are in such different situations that when we try to make, even if we try to do like a persona-based journey, we find that it's almost like we would have to do a one-to-one journey map for every single member, yeah. which obviously yeah. we can't it's do. Not it's not possible. So we we've kind of shifted away from that and we've leaned more into like you were talking about kind of trying to personalize the experience based on personas we we did a persona study about a year ago that was really really interesting where we uncovered four different personas within the butcher box member base that are values based not demographics mm. based so mm. it's really like shared values around cooking eating and health and mm. So that gives us a lot of room to kind of play around with messaging and communication and content that we can personalize the experience based on somebody's values rather than, especially when you get into like beyond the digital journey, when somebody's actually using the product and they're at home cooking and sitting down to a meal, it's just such a personal experience. So we we kind of have to be mindful of that and, and not try to blanket. Yeah make blanket solutions for, for I, those types of things. I'm with you. I, I'm not a huge fan of, I mean, I think years ago, maybe even a couple of years ago, I think personas were really relevant and on some level, but especially in the digital space. And I think because consumer needs have just evolved so much and they continue to do so. I just think that the technology that we've got access to now can really get you down to the individual level. There's almost no need to say, we're going to box this person in this kind of group anymore, right? Exactly. I'm ex- and I'm excited. For, I mean, the technology on that is only getting better and better, better and better. I think the next kind of two, three years, it's going to really change the way that practitioners in this space really think about their work and, and how to engage the customer differently. 
how do you, Callie, how do you think about sort of the core tenets of experience and, and bring them into your work? Like what are the three to five things that like are your go-to that you're always modeling or think, excuse me, thinking about modeling against? Yeah. So I would say the, I'm not sure if this is exactly what you're asking, but if I think about the, just the most important things in, in experience management, the number mm. one thing that I think about is empathy and mm. just being able to truly understand your customers and be able to walk in their shoes and really mm. understand what their needs are. It's a, it, you really have to talk to a lot of people and just getting on the phone or serving or what, however mm -hmm. you can reach your, your customers. I think that's the number one most important piece of the whole puzzle is having empathy and truly understanding the people that you're designing experiences for. I think that's um, well, that's well said. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt yeah. you, but like, that's the, yeah, yeah. if you, if you're not starting with empathy, like you shouldn't be doing this work. Right. 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 Totally. Yeah. And then I think the other thing that really has become more clear in the past few years for me, I think, is that experience management is not the responsibility of one person or one department even. Mm. It has to be a company-wide effort. And if it's not, it's not going to work. Because I think you, you really, part of my job, I think, is to help people understand how the work that they're doing every day, no matter what department that they're in in the organization, how the work that they're doing every day is affecting our end users and our mm. customers and our members. So that people, again, in helping to develop that empathy throughout the organization for our members is what makes this whole thing successful. If you don't have the whole company bought in from top to bottom, you're not going to be able to get what you want to get done. And you're doing that from the perspective of making sure that you're democratizing insights, getting them out into people's hands so they can use them, making sure that the insights are actionable. Like how important, I guess, then if everybody owns it, right? Like one person has to kind of manage that. And I think that's what you're saying, right? One person yeah. should be accountable or responsible for managing it. Everybody should own it. How does that work where you are? Is it bottoms up, top down? Like how does that kind of manifest at a company like ButcherBox? I would say it starts at the top. Like our leadership team is really driving this point. We have a value. We have we have our core values at the company. One of them is member obsession. Mm -hmm. So we're it's something that's really ingrained in the company values. And that comes from the leadership level. And I think it's something that's a honestly it's a it's a work in progress always. We can always get better. But we're really trying to to help people understand again, how their work affects the member and why mm -hmm. that matters. Why it matters to create experiences that, that are delightful for our members. What, how does that affect the bottom line? And how does that mm -hmm. affect the longevity of the company? Mm -hmm. And so just sort of trying to pull all of those pieces together for people, I think is, again, like what my role and what my department is there to do in, in a lot of ways. Very cool. Where do you think, I, I love this asking this question at first, but like, where do you think experience management is headed? Like next couple of years, three to five years, even like, like what, what are you really excited about from the discipline perspective? I think what, what we talked about with the one-to-one -one personalization mm -hmm. and actually good personalization, not just the like, 
hi, Callie, this, <laughs> just using your name does not <laughs> yeah, cut it for yeah, personalization. Yeah. Like we actually need to create experiences that are really personalized to our customers and members. And I feel like we're starting to get the technology and the data and every, all those pieces in place where that's actually going to be a reality in the, in the near future or yeah. already is today. And I think it's, it's hard to harness a lot of that right now, even though yeah. I think it's possible, but at least for a smaller company, it, it takes us a while to get there. But I think that's one of the, that's the first thing that pops into mind in terms of like where, where the discipline is headed. And then I mm -hmm. think, again, like we've been talking about just more of a whole company effort and really bringing the entire company into the process and and really thinking about the experience as being owned by every single person in the company, mm -hmm. just sort of on a high level. Yeah. Yeah. And giving people the tools to be able to understand the impact that they have, even if they're in the operational guts of a company, right? Totally. Like way back, like at the end of the day, still what they do, everyone's accountable to the customer, right? At the end of the day, or the member in this case, but giving them tools and visibility and to understand like how what they do day in and day out actually impacts not only the company from a strategic perspective, but also the customer. I think we are super close to that. It feels like there's a lot of conversation around how do we tie the employee experience together with the customer experience yeah. and connect those journeys. And I think that there's uh, there's a lot of lot of opportunity for some of the bigger tech players to kind of solve some of those problems for for a lot of folks that are in this space. Totally agree. Before we close out, I've got a couple more questions for you, Callie. Yeah. I am, I, you may, you may not know this from our conversations, but I am a huge proponent of female and minority leadership and an ally. I like to think of myself as an ally in this space. What advice do you have for other individuals, females or otherwise, maybe even who are in experience management today, they're practitioners or just professionals and who are looking to grow and develop into a similar role, like heading up member experience and being a VP at a company? What would you say maybe to start thinking about now? And then similarly, the flip side of that is what advice do you have for allies in this space? And that's I mean, me asking because I'm always trying to learn and, and do better there. But also, I think that there are a lot of male listeners on the show that are similarly minded and want to make sure that they're helping as well. Yeah. So the the two pieces of advice that I always give to people sort of starting out in their career or not too far into their career yet. Yeah. This is something that I say to, I, I would say this is not male, female specific at all. But specifically in experience management, I think from everybody you've spoken to on your show, there is never a straight line in this hmm. industry. It's always a winding path. And I think one of the most important things is to embrace that, that you're going to go in a bunch of different directions. You're going to learn a ton of things along mm -hmm. the way, and you're going to end up where you want to go. Try to have a picture of where you want to be and let the path wind. I think that's super important because this industry is changing so quickly. Yeah. It's there. It's just, it's different at every company and you just have to embrace it. So I think that's the number one thing in experience management, male or female, embrace that kind of ambiguity, winding yeah. path kind of, kind of journey. The second thing, and this I think is for both, this I think applies to allies as well, is seeking out mentorship. So mm. I've talked to so many people coming up in their careers about the fact that 
you are never going to get everything that you need from your manager and you shouldn't expect that as a manager. So if you're particularly if you're a male manager of female employees, you need to recognize that as well and really support your employees in Mm. finding that mentorship that they need. Mm. So particularly for young women, I think it's really important to find female mentors that you can look up to in your field or or outside of your field, but mm-hmm. really just kind of taking a look at the pieces of your role or where you want to get to that you feel like you can't really get from your manager and mm. proactively seek out mentorship outside of that. And again, as a manager, making sure that you're supporting your employees in doing that. I love that point, Callie, because oftentimes in a lot of companies that I've worked for, it feels like finding a mentor is on the employee's shoulders to do, not so much on the manager or leader's shoulders to do. And I think being proactive about that for your team and actively doing that is super important. And I just kind of even think about myself, like I could probably be doing a better job of that even myself (laughs) as I think about it. But it's, I don't think you're you're 100% right. That shouldn't just be on the employee's shoulders to do. Who do you look up to, whether it's in the CX space or or just in industry? Are there any leaders that you kind of look to as, a, as, as role models? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the first person that pops to mind, and this is going to seem too convenient, but I actually ended up seeking out a mentor a couple years ago who, her name's Leslie Motla. She, she's a leader in the CX world she is now my direct manager. So she's now the chief product and experience officer cool. at Butcherbox. So it was, it really couldn't have been a better situation. I sought her out. She ended up eventually becoming my boss and it couldn't be a better situation, but she's amazing. She's really Love inspiring. That. She's great female role model. And what I, what I think is unique about her is I think she was on the forefront of this kind of bringing product and member experience mm-hmm. together. And that's something that I had always in my in my career, it's always sort of naturally been wanting to be pulled together. Mm-hmm. But she was the first person that I that I sort of knew that was really pulling it together yeah. in in a in a formal way. So very, very cool. All right. Last question for you. I know yep. you're super busy. It's a Friday. Where do you go for inspiration, Callie? So from like an experience. No, just like what, what fills your tires in life? Like what, what gets you kind of like, what gives you inspiration generally? So generally I would say like from a personal level, there's not like, there's not like specific content or places that I go for inspiration, but what, where I kind of, the place that I go for inspiration is my daily like workout exercise routine where that's the time for me where my Mm -hmm. mind is the most clear. I have two young kids. I have, I'm pregnant. I have, I have a lot going on. Oh my gosh. Congratulations. (laughs) I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's life is crazy. And so that's the time when I feel like it's the only time when my mind isn't on something. And that's when most of my reflection happens. And when I think a lot of my most inspired ideas come when, when my mind is actually has a little bit of a break. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. When I'm on my Peloton, the only thing I can think of is when am I getting off this thing? Like it feels good, <laughs> but like when is this over? When is the 30 minutes or 45 minute class going to be? Over? Yeah. Hey, this has been a really great show. I really well, one congratulations on on Thank your you. <laughs> cut your third soon to be third child. And that's Thank awesome. You. I've got 3. It's just it's a really cool number. <laughs> 
And I really appreciate you coming to the show. And yeah, look, again, love the product. I'm grateful that you agreed to, to be on the show. It's great to meet you and talk to you and, and for you to share a little bit about what you're doing at ButcherBox. Thank you so much, Bill. It was great to be here. All right, everybody. Another great show this week. We're out. Talk to you soon, Thanks everyone. for listening to Be Customer Led with Bill Stakos. We are grateful to our audience for the gift of their time. Be sure to visit us at BeCustomerLed.com for more episodes. Leave us feedback on how we're doing or tell us what you want to hear more about. Until next time, we're out. We're out.